So there we go. So good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're going to call this um, meeting of the City College Board of Trustees Budget and Audit Committee to order, and we'll start with roll call. Uh, Linda or Grace, if you would. Chair Williams. Present. Trustee Martinez. Not yet present. Trustee Solomon. Present. Student Trustee Brandt. Present. You have quorum. Thank you so much. All right, so we'll start with our land acknowledgement statement. I'm going to attempt to read from here. Um, so we acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushalone, who are the original inhabitants. Oh, making it bigger for me. Who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula as the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushalone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. peoples. Thank you. All right, so we will now go into public comment on the items that are not on the agenda. Do we have any public comment? Yes, uh, Michael McCarthy. Linda, I do not see Michael online. Okay. Uh, Mary Brave Woman. She was going to be online. I do not see Mary online either. Okay. Uh, Alan D'Souza. Good evening, board. My name is Alan D'Souza, librarian and AFT vice president. Um, I just want to remind ourselves that uh, the faculty contract expired over two years ago. And since then, faculty voluntarily took a 10% cut to save the college because we thought we were gonna be in a fiscal crisis. We know that now that that was not true and we put a lot of money back into our uh, savings and into our reserves. And so, but faculty bore that brunt. But recognizing the urgency to resolve Many of the issues, including the lack of economic advancement for faculty and the increasing unaffordability of the city, we sat down with the district last semester. We had a goal of reaching a contract agreement by June 30th. We thought that was a shared goal, but of course, things happened and we weren't able to get there. It's terrible that we, we didn't reach that agreement. But we took a break of six weeks approximately, came back Tuesday last. And what happened to the table? The district did not have anything for us. They had no proposal response to the economic proposal after six weeks. We're the largest employee group on the city, in, in, on the campus. And yet, over the length of this, of this negotiations, it doesn't seem like the district is interested in respecting this group of employees. Nothing has been offered of significant nature. It's embarrassing. I believe it should be embarrassing for the district. I don't know why. And I urge this this group to look at the budget closely and direct the, the district and the district's team to come back with a reasonable offer and do it ASAP. Please. And I shouldn't be saying please. That'd be something that I would kind of want us all to just jump to. Thank you. Fanny Law. Go ahead. <laughs> The silence was frustrating. Imagine how the AFT bargaining team felt this past Tuesday when the administration came unprepared. They came with nothing. They had no responses to proposals on their court after six weeks. 
the administration manages many contracts with consultants like legal counsel, IT, printing services. These contracts are on the board's consent agenda. They're usually passed without discussion. We, our faculty, are one of the largest employee groups at this campus, at this college. We deliver instruction and support services, for goodness sake, in this educational institution. We deserve respect. This administration needs to stop exploiting us and our labor group allies. Last semester, when David Martin's team countered our salary proposal, they were not able to show data to support their seemingly arbitrary counter. Let me remind you that the administration's team lost the unfair labor practice for bad faith bargaining last year. Competence and trust are in question. We are ready to change the culture of the college. Is the administration willing to do the same? Will you lead us to change the culture of the college? We really need to work together to regrow our college, to grow the enrollment, to really help students succeed. Abigail Bornstein. Let me pose this question. Do you honestly think the financial beatdown on full-time faculty doesn't affect the classroom and our students after more than a decade of non-competitive wages for full-time faculty? I certainly will never forget teaching in 2022 at my 2017 wages, five steps, five years backwards, while the school received over a 5% COLA. Full-time faculty wages are exponentially off like no other employee group at CCSF. If you include the proposal on the table, full-time faculty wages are still over 20% discounted. That means I teach two of my 10 classes free each year. Maybe we need a notation in the course schedule so that students know which 400 sections are being taught for free by full-time faculty starting next week. We can also note another 400 sections for spring. Think for a moment about your wages being off by more than 20%. How does that feel? I know you want to bring back more class sections and address many, many other issues around the college, but no one is addressing the structural issues surrounding full-time faculty wages, which according to our internal audit, the full-time faculty are the only employee group with non-competitive wages. By not addressing this right now in this fiscal year budget, the board is giving approval to continue to disrespect and undervalue full-time faculty and ignoring those who teach 70% of the classes at this school, sit on 25 different committees, provide counseling, and develop new courses to keep the content fresh and up-to-date for our students. Looking at our budget, the school is becoming more and more and more about financing our facilities and the various support around the school than the actual classroom. Please address this today. Where's the updated budget? Why aren't we seeing that and discussing that today? Thank you. Susanna Atwood. I'm just later on item five. Oh, I'm so sorry. Harry Bernstein. Good afternoon, trustees. <clears throat> Two topics. Um, I hope that you will act soon, not this committee, but the board um, on legal expenses. It was pointed out at a previous meeting that legal expenditures doubled uh, at least in one year after the departure of the dedicated council. Um, and I think there's a wish to return to have a dedicated council for, for most things. I also want to weigh in on what some of what my colleagues are talking about. In July 2022, the district uh, touted in a, in a message to the community that district ex expenditures for faculty have been reduced from 92% to about 82. 
92 to 88% based on, they didn't say it, but I will say it, the fiscally unnecessary and therefore legally questionable um, laying off of more than 30 full-time faculty. Um, they didn't have to lay off the part-time faculty. They just didn't rehire them. But that was more than 130 people altogether. Um, so if it's not a question of whether there's money there, um, but it's it's just wrong. And now that after I think a hiatus of four to five weeks to give the district time to regroup, they didn't come up with a, any proposal. So in the fairness to uh, oh, and they they can't even come up with a proposal and dealing with the um, you know five percent cost of living. We're not getting that, and we need it. So get some fairness. Sean, can you check for Mary Brave Woman? Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Good afternoon, trustees. While I was happy to learn yesterday of the special meeting to discuss labor negotiations this evening, I cannot begin to tell you the level of disappointment and disrespect felt by myself and other members of my team on Tuesday afternoon when we met with the district. Faculty who were off calendar until next week met for hours in advance of the meeting to prepare and then took time away from family and vacation plans to meet with the district, only to be told that they had nothing prepared for us. This is after a nearly seven week hiatus. There were just two items in their court, evaluations and salaries, yet even on the non-monetary item, they had not bothered to prepare. When we asked for clarification on the district's position on salaries, we were told by the chief negotiator that she had been directed by the board not to propose anything more than had been offered earlier, earlier in June, prior to our counter on June 20th. Upon further questioning, it sounded like the chancellor operating under board direction had directed Lydia to reassert the June 13th proposal. Either way, AFT was being told that the district would not bargain about salaries. Again, two minutes is not enough time to express our disappointment and concern at the disrespect, lack of seriousness and priority. The district appears to be giving both our negotiations process and the urgent needs of their employees. Disturbingly, Chancellor Martin is refusing to allow the district's actuary and to share any information with AFT's actuary with respect to the OPEB report. If the district's actuary's findings are credible and reliable, why hide them? Additionally, we requested a series of outstanding RFIs be addressed and provided to us by 5 p.m. on Tuesday. To date, we have no response or even further dates to bargain. This is the epitome of bad faith, a refusal to bargain. If the district continues in this manner, AFT will have no option to, uh, to file yet another ULP charge. It wasn't that long ago that PERB ruled in our favor on a very similar complaint involving some of the same individuals with the upcoming visit from the ACCJC, do you really want to roll those dice again or do you want to help us find a solution? I hope it's the latter. John, we look one more time for Mike McCarthy. Okay, that concludes public comment for items not on the agenda. Thank you so much to our public commenters. Um, my internet is a little slow, so I'm gonna need to get the agenda up here. All right, um, so we're gonna move to approval of minutes. Um, do we have any minutes prepared? Okay, so for the June 8th. Move to approve the minutes of the June uh, committee meeting. Second. So we'll take it to roll. Chair Williams. Aye. I'm gonna back up, I'm so sorry. Student trustee advisory vote. Aye. Thank you. Uh, Chair Williams? Aye. Trustee Solomon? Aye. The motion passes. Thank you so much, Linda. Um, so we'll now move into reports, and I see that Vice Chancellor Alamine has joined us. Hello, Chance, uh, Vice Chancellor. Uh, we'll move into report A, which is the monthly purchase order uh, for June and July, and I'll first, first start with my colleagues if there's any questions um, on the purchase order report, and uh, welcome Trustee Chisty as well as um, Trustee um, Chung Tu. If you have any questions, 
No, <laughs> nobody. Okay. All right. Vice uh, Chancellor uh, is there anything to share in regards to the June and July monthly PO report? Oh, you're on mute. My apologies. Nothing of note um, to note for these reports. Just want to make sure that the board and looking at the format um, is pleased with the detail that's provided. We want to make sure that we provide enough description and information for individuals to feel comfortable with not only the expenditures of the district, but in how we are presenting them for your review and your approval. Okay. Um, so is this, um, this is just for a review. There's no action needed for this, or did you want a recommendation from the committee? A recommendation would be fine, Madam Chair. Okay. Um, is there a motion for um, the monthly PO report? I move that we move this report forward uh, for approval to the August 25th board meeting. There are comments on the Oh. Is there public comment? I have public comment listed for the um, Gatsby report, but not for this. I, it's on my, I had two items. We'll take public comment, so. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so the new team that is doing the purchase order reports I just want to note that I, I believe the format is very clear. Um, it's um, chronological. So intermixing the U fund and uh, contractual uh, items. So there's a few that I that came to mind. Uh, one on July. So this is for June and July of, uh, of this year. And uh, July 19th, consultation with CBRE for 33 Gough Street regarding land lease uh, in 2023. Um, so I'm a little puzzled by this. Maybe you can clarify. As I recall, it, CBRE, which is a major uh, commercial landlord, had made a first lease proposal on 33 Gough Street a number of years ago. And this was not carried through. And then it went to another uh, entity. Um, so I'm not sure it's only a small item, $59,000. I'm just wondering what that is about. Uh, the AALRR, the legal services, is an increase of $73,000. But I already um, spoke to you about the legal expenses. Um, and I was just curious about one other item. This is in the uh, July 6th, and again, July 26th. I have no idea how much it, uh, the EOPS program should cost. We're talking about uh, book vouchers, uh, clipper cards, but on 7-6, it was $650,000, and July 26th, $195,000. Um, I'm not second guessing what they deserve, but just, that really stood out for me as one of the uh, items. Thank you. Student trustee Brin, advisory board. Aye. Chair Williams. Aye. Aye. Thank you. Um, so we'll move to report um, item B. Um, if you would like to proceed, uh, Vice Chancellor Alamine. Certainly. Um, we have as we're doing our GASB uh, reports, not just for our general fund, we also have a GASB report, which is done for our bookstore um, auxiliary. Um, this is the report. Um, the key findings are on page one. Um, essentially, our total liability from the prior year or from the current year is slightly down from prior year. Um, we have a cost roughly that's about almost $200,000 per year. We're on a pay-as-you-go cost, and we have a expense that is roughly about $50,000. This is essentially paid via uh, the Bookstore Auxiliary Fund. We Part of the, our transfer that we make from the general fund each year to that account 
goes in part to cover this expense. So we wanted to board to uh, be aware of what this additional liability is in addition to our general fund liability. Um, there also is on page two um, an outline consistent of the amount of benefit payments which are paid out each and every year. It's a projection of our annual uh, payments. We use that in order to establish uh, what an ongoing budget or our transfer will be for each of the given years. So those are on pages one and two. So we would be open to, again, we'll bring the uh, final report um, to the full board for their review and approval, but wanted the subcommittee to see the draft report and, of course, address any questions that you may have regarding it. All right, I'll open it up to my colleagues. I do have a question, but sure. uh, does anyone, any other trustees have questions? Um, I just know historically the bookstore, um, when I was overseeing, um, our only committee overseeing it, that there was... Um, some significant deficit um, in years past and just wondering um, if the bookstore is on a path to sustainability and just overall um, the fiscal health of the of the bookstore at this time. Um, currently, the bookstore is under operation. Um, we have a contractor who basically is responsible for the uh, P&L for the bookstore. Um, their concern is that their revenues have been uh, decreasing. Um, we do receive uh, some compensation back from the bookstore each year that goes into this fund to help offset and mitigate some costs that are related to uh, other benefits and other items that are associated with uh, our prior ownership of the or prior direction and management of the bookstore. Um, but we do have a bookstore uh, report um, that they provide to us, financial report that they do provide to my office. I would be happy to get that report and make that report available. Thank you. I would love to see that. Um, anything else from our trustees? All right. And would you also need a recommendation recommendation from the committee on this item as well? Yes, Madam Chair. Okay. I can't, I can't move. <laughs> I'm chairing, so I think it's me and you, Trustee Solomon. <laughs> Uh, I move that we move this uh, report forward to the August 25th board meeting. And I'll second that. All right, we'll take the roll. Or is there a public comment on this item? I believe that, I thought that, okay. Okay. Student procedure agreed by committee. Aye. Chair Williams. Aye. 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 Thank you. All right, so we're on our next report, um, our general fund report. Um, Chancellor, Vice Chancellor Alamein, if you have any um, thing that you would like to share in regards to this report. Certainly. This report reflects, was uh, this was run as of July the 31st. There are a couple things which we still are in the process of resolving. So I'll highlight both the revenue um, and any expenditure, uh, outstanding expenditure or revenue items that we currently have. Um, we were made alerted, it's in the uh, second item that's on the agenda under the state budget update. Um, if you go down to the bottom of the notes, as of our principal, our second principal apportionment, the, there we go, thank you. As of the second principal apportionment, there was a deficit factor that was applied statewide and the deficit factor to our college was approximately 10.827%. Um, so that essentially is a, calculates to roughly about $16.5 million. This essentially uh, is part or will be at some point as we continue to do cleanup with the state, will be a partial, will be an adjustment that will made once final numbers are in. And I know while it sounds a, a bit confusing because I know a lot of individuals uh, have been uh, talking about the state revenues and the COLA that was inserted uh, for this year's budget, um, there was a state budget deficit. And the state is trying to reconcile some of the commitments that were made, and that includes revenue for the community colleges. So we're waiting on final numbers from Sacramento. Um, I believe that there is an intent to go to the rainy day fund to make up this revenue shortfall. 
Um, but at this point, we will adjust those numbers as we get more concrete information as to what level will be reimbursed or covered from that particular fund. Um, at this point, we're noting it so that people are aware of it because it's also one of the reasons why the projected revenue at the end of June was not in line with the projected revenue that we had in our adoption budget. We have one other uh, item related to local uh, revenue. Our sales tax revenues are roughly about three months behind. Um, we will be accruing that additional amount, uh, roughly about $3 million. We receive a little, well, give or take about a million dollars a month from sales tax revenues. Sales taxes in the city um, are slightly higher than uh, in previous year. So, but we still, however, our, our calculation is in part based upon our enrollment. So as long as our, our enrollment and SFUSD stay consistent, then our allocation or our portion of that will also remain consistent, but we're keeping an eye on that. But we will anticipate that we will receive the full amount which was budgeted for this year. Um, I know what I said probably has a number of questions, so I'll at least stop for the revenue piece and address any questions that the board members may have. Absolutely. Uh, Trustee Solomon. Thank you. Um, thanks for that information on the local revenue. That takes care of one of my questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so my other question is about um, the the. Uh, what you just described the in the second principle report mm -hmm. about the uh, deficit factor. Mm -hmm. I, I had to do a little research because I this is um, figuring out what P2 meant. That's the second principle report. So the joint analysis memo has a little more information. We have some of that. It looks like we don't have the entire report. Um, I did see in the memo um, under, it says memorandum page three of five. I'm not sure if you have this, Dr. Alameen, under, sorry, I, and I, I think this touches on something you were saying, the education protection account, that section. Mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna read from it. Um, this is, appears to be about uh, legislation that, wasn't yet enacted, but Correct. it does say once enacted, the 2023 Budget Act will provide the revenue needed to offset the June 2023 decrease in 22-23 EPA funding since the Budget Act and or associated legislation had not been enacted at the time of certification. Uh, the 2022-23 P2 does not include the 22-23 general fund revenue increase needed to offset the decrease in 22-23 mm -hmm. EPA funding, resulting in a temporary revenue deficit of 10.83%. Mm -hmm. So can we anticipate, uh, that's pretty steep for a deficit um, for, for that number. So can we anticipate uh, that this is a delay, and we'll see some resolution to, uh, you know, what we what what we projected was more like 198 million. It's coming in at 189 million, so that's significant. And uh, it's it sounds like the deficit factor issue will be resolved to a large extent based on this sort of lagging legislation. At this point, it's our expectation that there will be some legislation, but as we make the report today that legislation and that action has not has not yet passed. So when it does, then uh, we will make sure that we uh, adjust our revenue appropriately and then update the board on what the final authorized legislated amount is. But as of P2, and as you will get to the second report, which was just provided roughly about a month ago, um, these are the current numbers. There is an expectation that there will be an adjustment from the educational protection account. But I think like with a number of things, it still is in discussion um, because as we began this current fiscal year, um, I think one of the nuances was, well, a 8.22% COLA was provided. We also had roughly a 2.2 some odd percent deficit factor included upon potential revenue. 
which negates that full 8.22% COLA. So there's a number of things which are currently happening in Sacramento financially. And as we get updates and the numbers change, then the board will be updated as soon as we get that information. Um, so um, this question is for Chancellor. Um, are there any advocacy opportunities for us to ensure that we do go, that the state will go to the rainy day fund and protect sort of the funding? Uh, certainly, and as Dr. Alameen mentioned, there are conversations happening regarding not only the subsequent trailer bills, uh, which will provide guidance on how the state intends to backfill uh, this funding, but as we move into future budget cycles, uh, not only advocating for full funding of the COLA, because the COLA is calculated and K through 12 districts automatically receive that amount. Community colleges don't have the luxury of being automatically a recipient per the legislation. So our advocacy efforts uh, should continue to be that we, uh, as a system, continue to get the full COLA and that deficit factors are not applied uh, here in the near future. So I think that's where we can have the most advocacy. Thank you. And a follow-up question. I know Assemblymember uh, Ting and um, uh, Senator Weiner have been, you know, good friends to City College. So I don't know if any conversations have happened with our, our state electeds, our local state electeds around this. Uh, I know he was budget chair for quite a long time. I don't know if he's still budget chair, Ting. Um, but yeah, that would be great to... Well, thank you for the question. And we do keep uh, our state legislators up to date uh, on community college budgets. So we do share information. And I think once we get more uh, guidance regarding the deficit factor, because I think uh, as uh, Trustee Solomon mentioned, and as Dr. Alameen uh, responded, that we uh, are confident that uh, a majority, if not all of that deficit factor may be uh, covered here in the uh, subsequent months, uh, but making sure that as we communicate with our state legislators that we're keeping an eye on that uh, and we advocate for every dollar possible. So we are uh, sharing information. I think uh, as the trailer bill develops, we will get uh, a first read at it uh, as a system, and that's when we can make any comments and uh, really engage our state, leg state legislators for any uh, changes that we may want to see. That's great. I know we're really tight. <laughs> so um, any other questions. Uh, Trustee Solomon. Thanks. I do have one other question. And uh, I want to preface it by saying, since I'm asking about salaries, this is in no way to say that people who work shouldn't get paid. If it weren't for the classified and faculty workers here, we wouldn't have a college. So I, I'm just curious on line items 1300 and 2100, it, so that's uh, fac, part time faculty is um, salary is 1300, classified salary is 2100. So they look uh, high for June. And as we've been discussing the budget um, since I've been a trustee, uh, we were, uh, I think, sort of told to anticipate that salary expenses often go down in June just because the false, you know, the semester ends in May and then summer picks up. The summer session doesn't, isn't immediate. Uh, but yeah, line item 1300 is over $2 million when the month before in May, it was uh, $1.5 million. And for classified, um, it was, uh, I, to almost $3 million in May and almost $5 million in June. Mm -hmm. So just um, trying to understand what caused that increase in the month of June, since this is, that would be the end of the fiscal year. Thank you. As we do during the normal part of the year, one of the things we've been working on is position control and making sure that positions that were general fund positions were actually allocated to the general fund. And it's one of the one of the adjustments that were made uh, as we begin our June or budget cleanup for the end of the year. We also had uh, COVID for classified. There were COVID leave payouts that were made during the month of June, which, as you noted, were actually during the month of May and June. Um, we had COVID leave payouts that were made that uh, accounts for those adjustments in those two particular months. And I do believe also there may have been an adjustment of the instructional schedule 
for the 1300 line item, but I do know that we were doing position control cleanup and that resulted in some increased salaries in both of in that particular line item as well as a few others. Thank you, Vice Chancellor, and um, definitely want to stay updated on any efforts to support um, around state advocacy. I don't know if we are still engaging um, the group. I forget. The, <laughs> our lobby. If I remember the acronyms correctly, it was MGI. MGI. We are, yeah. we are not uh, using them uh, this year. Okay. Any other questions? My colleagues. All right. So again, you, I imagine you want a recommendation, or is this just information? Well, well, one last thing for the uh, the uh, the expenditure piece um, is we still are cleaning up. There are some uh, final adjustments that will be made. Um, we still have some uh, utilities payments, some charges. Uh, we finally did reconcile and, and find out where the holdup and the issue was with our billing. So we're working to uh, correct that part of of our internal process, um, but we are still finalizing uh, costs, which are in the 5,500 line. And as well as there were some uh, initial transfers that we have both to the bookstore, uh, cafeteria, and some other that were not processed during the year that are still outstanding. We're finalizing those. Uh, but essentially, as of the July 30th, I'm sorry, July 31st, uh, revenue number and expenditure number um essentially we were within basically six thousand dollars of our expenditures to our received revenue um so we still be there we are anticipating that there will be a change when the state does a true up on the state deficit factor which again uh we've already received some of that funding so we won't receive a new 16 uh we won't receive $16 million in total. Um, we've already, because of the fact we received payments through May and June, but there will be some differential that we'll receive once that's finalized, that will be added to our revenue, as well as any other additional local and any final expenditures. But for the most part, um, almost all of our personnel salaries and benefits and such are in. And we basically, again, uh, will have completed this year without a deficit balance. So um, total side question. I know recology was a huge bill for us uh, years ago. I don't know if that's been reconciled or where we are with the recology. Um, I do believe our recology payment, Trustee Williams, uh, they have, uh, those bills have been paid. So I think we're in, we're in good standing with recology. We haven't had any issue with our recycling or trash pickup. And their pay schedule, is it still it's pretty astronomical. It's, yeah, I know we had a lot of discussion about that. Yeah, we're still under that same agreement and contract. If we can get better terms, we will. We'll work on it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Oh, I think we have public comment. Susanna Atwood. Susanna Atwood, retired business faculty. Um, the question that I have is, and and Dr. Alamine explained part of this discrepancy on what our budget was and what the revenue is that's showing on this report. But, and part is we're going to be adding that sales tax, so great. And also I did already understand the deficit factor, but when you try to crunch the numbers, there might be other pieces in there. And that's what I'm curious about is just that, is there something, are there, were there other things that were off from budget besides sales tax and the deficit factor? That's all. Abigail Bornstein. Thanks. So I want to bring your attention to the 1100 account, uh, which is the full-time faculty. How is it that the budget could be off by $10 million that's the equivalent of having the count off by 90 full-time faculty. Somehow we forgot that 90 of the full-time faculty exist. So when I, when I saw the tentative budget in June, I was surprised to see a 33% increase to full-time faculty, the 1100 account. I thought, oh, good. We're going to address these non-competitive wages. But actually, we're using a comparison number that is 90 full-time faculty off. With the true spend from the prior year, we're only dedicated a roughly 
4% increase to certificated salaries, but 13% increase to classified and almost 23% increase to benefits. The board expects the addition of all laid off full-time faculty in this new fiscal year. I don't see the numbers in there. It seems that the board voted on an action without accounting for it financially and with the expectation that full-time faculty will continue at wages that are more than 20% 20, 20 off, including the district's proposed increase. When are we going to see the updated tentative budget? Will there be a board retreat, an all-day session on it? The July 27th meeting triggers a massive change to the June tentative budget. The PGC budget committee needs to see the significant financial changes. The board has a responsibility to fully vet the budget before approval. I do wanna go back to the question of how can we be off in our 1100 account full-time faculty by an astronomical 90 full-time faculty? I remember last year, no details on the accounts were given until maybe a week before the board approval vote in September. Given the recent developments, this budget still needs some very serious vetting before approval. Thank you. That concludes public comment for this item. Thank you so much. Um, just uh, on the adopt our tentative budget, adopted budget, um, when you look at the percentages of, you know, for the adopted budget that we have listed, it's just kind of all over the place and there's some major overages there. Um, I'm just would love to hear from you, Vice Chancellor Alameen, in terms of process. And of course, as budget chair, I want to partner with you and with the chancellor to figure out how do we kind of um, get to an adopted budget that really is in reality, as opposed to, you know, you see some areas that are, you know, multiple hundreds of percentages above what we adopted and mm -hmm. just wanting to us to have a tentative budget and no. adopted budget that makes sense. And that- No, Trustee Williams, those are, those are excellent questions and excellent points. The problem that we've been trying to resolve uh, is position control. When individual positions are established, they are assigned certain line items from which they're paid. If those are incorrect, then those amounts will get sorted through and assigned, as you see in the adopted budget, to various salary categories. Now, in this particular case, um, this year, when, when this year's budget was built, there were a number of assumptions that were made by staff that some of the position, some of the line items for positions were incorrect and people were charged inappropriately to different accounts. We still are reconciling some of these accounts and that's why you see some of the differences between the starting figures and the ending figures. If you look at the 1300 line item, or I'm sorry, the 1100 and the 1200, or yeah, the 1100 and the 2200 line item, uh, we basically, because based upon the position numbers or where positions were allocated, it looked like from the system $17 million were to positions, but actually we only spent 10.5. And then conversely, positions that were designated to be 1,100, we budgeted 22 million, but spent 32. So those are some of the things that we have to continue to work on to make sure that uh, positions are appropriately categorized in the right programs, the right activities, and the right line items, so that when we put together the adoption budget, this is correct. But position control has been an issue within our district for, for years, and we're still in the process of trying to make sure that it is correct so that when you get an adopted, when you get an adopted budget, then all of the line items that we have are going to be consistent with where our personnel are, uh, they're housed, where they're working, their assignments, instructional or non-instructional, and we can have a little bit more, uh, everything will be more fine-tuned and in line. But this is still a, still an ongoing process. Uh, the various college departments were working to kind of reconcile and ensure for next year that this will be better. Uh, and it's one of the things that we're working on now to fine tune. So this is one of the reasons why you see the differences. And of course, when there were some, as you can see from the final difference, um, there were some uh, assignments that again, we still are do in doing position control that have been in areas that were actually general fund areas and in cleaning those particular assignments up, then you have you have an increase above what was budgeted for the year. But that was a part of our doing year and cleanup. And as we begin to do our adoption budget for next year, 
these numbers are year to date or ending numbers for 22-23 will be taken into account as we prepare next year's figures to make sure that they will be more in line with what we've done in this past year. Just as a follow-up to that, I think for this committee, it'd be great, um, in addition to precision control, to really have conversations about some of these uh, barriers um, and just what is the progress, like updates on progress that's being made at the department level. Um, I would love to see that come to this committee, to come to the full board. I know there's a number of these challenges that um, we've been working on for years. Um, but yeah, just Chancellor Martin. Uh, certainly, Chair Williams. And I know, as Dr. Alameen mentioned, uh, we are bringing some, some additional staff on board. Uh, so rewind maybe four or five years ago, we had a full team of uh, three full-time employees who were fully dedicated to our position control system. Uh, all three of those positions uh, were vacated and our position control system has not had uh, anybody assigned to it now for uh, several years as we've tried to fill those positions. Uh, the board recently approved our director of budget uh, position, which will hopefully oversee uh, two classified staff and then rebuild our budget and position control department because departments make uh, dozens of changes uh, throughout the year in respects to non-instructional assignments or different type of grant PI work. Uh, so keeping track of all of those and making sure that those assignments are properly reflected in our financial system. We're playing catch up right now, uh, but we're making good progress and we hope with new staffing, we'll be able to uh, be on top of it and make those adjustments in real time, as opposed to as part of year end close. I'll just open up to my colleagues. Um, any questions? Uh, Trustee Chissy. Thank you, Chair Williams. Um, I, I think I just wanted to echo I, my question was going to be about how does like this issue around like what's the inception of it? But I think Chancellor Martin, you just touched upon that. Um, and then I went to that there must be an issue within our fiscal controls or something happening in the infrastructure. And so I think staffing. Um, so when will those positions become effective? Because I'm just a little bit concerned too with um, some of the conversations happening around faculty, bringing faculty back and um, just budget, just, yeah, want to make sure those controls are in place. Certainly. And I, and I appreciate the question, Trustee Chisty. So I do believe our director of budget uh, is starting next week or the following week. And then the two classified positions are in the uh, human resources pipeline, but I don't know uh, definitively where they're at, but we can bring that information back. They are approved uh, through our VRG process, if I'm not mistaken. It's just getting them to the point where they're posted, and then we utilize the civil service list, if applicable, and then hopefully bring them on sometime this fall. Great. Thank you so much. And um, I um, also just wanted to echo the sentiment around um, some type of budget study session. I will not be at the retreat. Unfortunately, that's, I believe, is scheduled, um, but I would appreciate a study session for the budget. So thank you. Thank you so much, Trustee Chisty. Um, great comments. Anything else from my colleagues on this? All right. Um, so for um, Vice Chancellor Alameen, are, is this just an informational item? I don't believe we have an Action to it's just an informational item for informational you. item. Okay. So we'll move to the next item, which is a state budget update. I know we already touched on that a little bit, but we'll just well, be going. Let's start on let's start a little on bit the, more. <laughs> yeah, let's do just a little bit more. Let's start on 2223 P2. Oh, that's 2223. Uh, this is what uh, second principle apportionment. This is what we call the exhibit C. Um, this walks us through how our allocation is developed based upon our base, which is FTES plus the basic allocation for centers and such. Um, as you can see, uh, Based upon the state revenue figures at the time this was run, um, we had basically built a budget on 152.4 million. And as of P2, uh, 135.9 was available. Now this was done, uh, this report was run after some, uh, some payments had already been made to the district. So that's why I'm saying we still have to reconcile uh, with the state what the actual final deficit number will be. Um, this report was ran by the state roughly on 
June the 21st and it was released for us. Um, so essentially we are waiting to see what the final numbers will be and what will come in legislation. And uh, we're hoping that the actual revenue deficit will be less than a percent. Um, and so again, there will be some additional differential that we'll receive in terms of our state revenue. But as you can see, one of the main issues that we pay a lot of attention to is the hold harmless amount. And if you'll scroll up just a little bit um, the other way, there we go, uh, a little bit more. There we go. Um, as of going into 22-23, our hold harmless amount adjustment was roughly about 23.4 million. And again, this in part is based upon uh, our actual reported uh, FTS between what was uh, given as prior funded FTS. So that, that number for the next fiscal year is going to increase by roughly about $10 million. If you if we'll scroll down just a little bit and I can show you where the source of the 23 million in part comes from, as you can see, they use a three-year average looking at both 2021, 21, 22, showing our decline, and then our 22, 23 applied. So as you can see in, in a number of prior years, we have been and we are funded at this level here at 19,626. But as of P2, what we reported was approximately 13.269. And then, of course, for 2022-23, they funded us at 16,347.15. So the difference is essentially what we get in Hold Harmless, which is the difference between these numbers. So if you scroll down just a little bit, there we go. So we try to monitor and maintain and, and really pay attention to these numbers, particularly as they change. There are a number of districts. I believe there are 11 on hold harmless at this point of the 72. So, and we are one of them. So I wanted to just make sure that we go over that. Now, as this rolls over into the next fiscal report, if we can pull up 2324, it's our principal, it's our advanced apportionment. And as you can see, uh, as we scroll down briefly, uh, we have the districts which we monitor for comparison to see exactly where we are in relationship to them and different things would be, looks like Cabrillo, is on hold harmless. So is Cerritos. No, I'm sorry. What's wrong with my mouse? Oh. Looks like Chabot Los Pasitos, Cabrillo, Foothill De Anza, Moran. Napa Valley, Ohlone, Peralta, San Mateo, Santa Monica, West Valley. So of the numbers that are on hold harmless, a number of them are single college districts. Um, of the amount, however, that's on hold harmless, of those districts, we are the largest. So we're projected our hold harmless amount is roughly about 33, almost $34 million, which is a significant increase over the prior year. So um, one of the things, you know, we're looking at, so while we are looking at a TCR of 164.946, as we have discussion about uh, different things that we can do to uh, generate additional enrollment, keeping in mind what our revenue limits are. Um, and if you go to page three, that's where you see that we have a 2.2926 revenue deficit of roughly $4 million. 
that will be applied to our compensation or our TCR, which takes it to roughly about $160 million. So we'll be basing our adoption budget off that amount in terms of both state and property tax revenue. So there are some changes that we're keeping an eye on as we develop the adoption budget, um, as we look at position control, um, as we continue to try to make sure that we stay within our targeted and allotted resources. So with that, would know if there were any particular questions from the board. I um, was curious in terms of hold harmless. I know San Mateo is basic aid and some of the other colleges are, if you could. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, so and that's a great point, uh, Dr. Alman. And I'll, I'll give it the first shot and then please jump in and uh, add any color commentary. Uh, but I, I do believe that the report uh, in front of us is prepared by the chancellor's office. They run the hold harmless for every district, all 73. Uh, but one of the benefits of being a basic aid district that these numbers are essentially uh, irrelevant. You just budget for your full property taxes. Uh, but the chancellor's office still runs the scenario uh, based on that district's FTS level. So that's why we do see basic aid districts included uh, in the report. And I think the one takeaway, and going back, uh, Chair Williams, to your question about advocacy, uh, if you look at the numbers uh, of the 73 districts, uh, removing the uh, basic aid districts, there's less than 10 still in hold harmless. Uh, we are one of that 10. Uh, we are one of those 10. And if we were to envision hold harmless uh, as a whole to climb out of, uh, our hole is almost double uh, the depth of any other district in the state. Uh, we are at 34 million, uh, the second uh, deepest district in hold harmless is Chabot, uh, Las Placitas at about 19 million. Uh, so we're approximately 15 million uh, deeper in the hole than the second uh, district in the state of California. So in thinking about advocacy efforts with the Hold Harmless uh, twilighting uh, next year, uh, advocating for change uh, to the funding formula, extending Hold Harmless uh, needs to be where we focus our efforts because if, as it's written today, is implemented, uh, we could be potentially looking at several fiscal years of frozen revenue and with increasing cost and the desire to grow our schedule, uh, that's going to be very challenging, uh, as well as, uh, you know, meet uh, the needs of, uh, you know, our, our salary, uh, you know, desires in respects to our employees, uh, balancing all of that where revenue uh, could potentially remain flat uh, for several years is something that we may have to seriously start uh, addressing here after next year. Any comments, questions, comments? Yeah. Um, go for it, Trustee Solomon. I do think, uh, and it's something we have discussed as a board, the importance of looking at the student-centered funded formula and the um, damaging consequences potentially for us. Chancellor, I'm wondering, have you, have there been, has there been any outreach uh, to the Board of Governors, to the State Chancellor's Office? Have Just wondering what are folks thinking about City College at this point in the game? <laughs> well, um, uh, we, we have uh, reached out to legislators. Uh, and one of the things that we have been uh, working on is uh, partnering with other Bay 10 districts that are in similar situations, such as uh, Chabot Las Placitas. Uh, in my opinion, uh, I don't think the entire system-wide formula will be changed for one or two districts, but if we develop a coalition uh, with other districts and come to the state as a unified uh, front, because the student-centered funding formula, uh, one of the biggest criticisms is that it applies a unilateral equation to different populations of students at different uh, socioeconomic locations throughout the state uh, and Bay Area with the cost of living uh, and a variety of other factors. Uh, I think there is strong evidence that uh, our region is disproportionately impacted with that one size fits all formula. As you can see, uh, many of the Bay 10 districts are in hold harmless. Uh, so really working with our partnered, our sister institutions throughout the Bay 10 is where I think we're going to have the best opportunity uh, to make some noise at the state level. Thank you. And I think that'd be great work for this committee um, to engage in as soon as possible. Um, anything else, Vice Chancellor Alameen? 
No, Trustee Williams. That concludes my reports for the evening. Thank you for your time and questions. Thank you so much. And I, again, want to appreciate all the public comment um, and also agree. Um, oh, there was a comment on this one. Okay. Apologies. I'll try to be quick because I know we're over time here. Um, I agree with most of what has been said here about the hold harmless in that there are 11 that will still have all the districts that will still be on it, but five of those are basic aid, which you discount them because they're funded a different way. So there's really seven, the last I counted, that are still on it. What's interesting about it is they're all urban. So it's always been my belief that this there's a prejudice against urban districts, and we're the ones that are hurt the most by the student-centered funding formula. The, the, the same per student amount is given to us as somebody out in the valley, and that's got to hurt us. I also had a comment on the prior uh, spreadsheet that was up there about the apportionment, and I'd just like to point out that there's an important long memo that came with that report from the chancellor's office that explains that they expect us, again, it is expect, to get most of that money, if not all of it, in October, November. So when this is discussed at the meeting, the full board meeting, I think it's important that everyone has that memo to go with that apportionment report. That's all. Is there any additional public comment? Abigail Burns. So I wanted to bring your attention to the second exhibit, that was exhibit C, um, which was page two, section three, the student success allocation. This board often lists the priority around degrees and certificates. And I just wanted to point out that you are ignoring the largest SCIF formula revenue coming from CTE, nine or more CTE units. The point value is lower, but we have so many, many more students who qualify for the success measure. CTE is also calculated into the regional living wage, and that's, that's about jobs. And I hear a lot about degrees and certificates, but CTE and living wage is often forgotten or is an afterthought. They shouldn't be, the, uh, just look at the numbers. And my second point is that adding more sections comes at very different expense amounts. Uh, let me explain this. We have been talking about English. We obviously need more sections of English 1A. There's no question about that. Um, a full-time English instructor will serve roughly 90 students in a semester. A CNIT instructor will serve 175 students. An astronomy instructor will serve over 240 students. We're going to need two full-time English instructors to one full-time CNIT instructor to serve the same number of students. In this case, English is twice as expensive. We really have to watch the number of students we're serving and at what cost. Adding English sections becomes twice as expensive as adding more CNIT sections or astronomy sections. This is based on the lower cap and the 1.25 pay factor per unit that English receives. What are we going to use to offset the double expense for English classes? I've heard some board members suggest we not pay our insurance fund or retirement fund or lower our reserve. As a board, you're responsible not only to add on more classes, but you have to be vetting the budget. Putting out an expectation of any action is easy, but tying it to the revenue is the challenge. Thank you. That concludes public comment for this item. Thank you. And again, thank you to all of our public commenters um, to uh, move towards adjournment. I know we have future agenda items listed. Um, definitely wanna have regular updates on some of these barriers around position control and staffing updates um, in this area. I don't know, uh, Trustee Solomon, quickly if you had any agenda items. I would just add even describing in great detail what position control is and does yes. would be really helpful. Thank you. Absolutely. And also I heard Trustee Chissy in terms of um, additional study sessions. I'll work with you, Chancellor, to see how we can get those in August. Um, at this time, we are on item seven adjournment, but I do want to call out um, the tragedy that is being experienced right now in Hawaii and Maui um, and just would like to adjourn um, and, and, you know, for the folks who have lost tremendously um, on that island, the loss of life um, that is happening, of course, and the beautiful wildlife uh, that's there. Um, I also was planning to travel there, so thank God I'm here. I was planning to go there Saturday, but just want to end our meeting with a moment of silence for those who have lost in, um, in Maui.
Thank you so much, everyone. Um, so can we get a motion to adjourn? Second, <laughs> we'll do a roll call. Student Trustee Brand advisory vote. Aye. Chair Williams. Aye. Trustee Solomon. Aye. Motion passed. Thank you. We are adjourned at 5.40 uh, p.m. Thank you, everyone.